You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome in to Big Noon Sports, the Monday edition. Hope everybody's week is off to a great start. What a week for Alabama sports fans. Nick Dunlap, that is a name that I am forecasting that every sports fan in the United States will know within three years. Nick Dunlap, University of Alabama rising sophomore, won the U.S. Amateur on Sunday in just uh, stunning fashion. Uh, and his story is absolutely remarkable. We're going to spend a lot of the show talking about his rise uh, to become the top amateur in the United States and uh, and how he achieved a feat that no one in golf history has other than one Tiger Woods, which is mighty high company to be in. So we're going to spend a lot of time with that. Uh, we're going to talk to Cannon Claycomb, uh, one of uh, Nick's teammates at Alabama. And uh, we may actually talk to Nick himself, the man of the hour, the man of the moment at uh, 12.15 here in about 10 minutes. And then at 1 o'clock, we're going to talk to Al Del Greco, a good friend of mine, a longtime NFL kicker, an amazing golfer in his own right. Uh, he came really close to uh, qualifying for the U.S. Open on several occasions. But he trained Nick when uh, Nick, who is from Birmingham, he uh, really played, uh, grew up at, at playing at Greystone, which is where Al uh, used to live. And uh, Al spent a lot of time mentoring and tutoring Nick uh, when he was just, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, it is an amazing story, like I said. And uh, soon, I think very soon, every golf fan in the world will know his name. And But we're going to start with what I know uh, our listeners want to hear, and that is what is the intelligence that we have received from Alabama's second preseason scrimmage, the second and only, uh, or second and final preseason scrimmage. Um, And, uh, you know, we are now less than two weeks away from when Alabama tees it up for their season opener. And so where are we? What's the depth chart look like? Um, you know, for now, we're just kind of at the, at the mercy of, uh, Nick Saban when it, when it comes to releasing depth charts and you know how much he loves depth charts, uh, meaning not at all. And, uh, so what did we learn? Well, uh, just from, you know, various, uh, sources, again, media was not allowed, uh, to view the scrimmage. And, uh, you know, but of course, uh, there are observers inside the stadium and there's basically a rule. I don't know if it's actually written or unwritten that they're not supposed to reveal any information, but of course people do. And so I, I think there's a few things. One, um, as we all know, that the quarterback uh, battle to uh, be the starter has been story number one, two, and three 
during this Alabama camp. And it's not just a story that is big within the state. It's a story that uh, people all around the nation are, are following because there just hasn't been this much uncertainty at the quarterback position in, in quite a while. Uh, it certainly helps when your last three quarterbacks um, are all playing in the NFL and uh, you have Jalen uh, Hurts, who is the currently the highest paid player in the NFL. He'll soon be surpassed by Joe Burrow whenever Joe Burrow signs his new contract with the Bengals. Um, but uh, with Jalen Hurts and then Tua, and Tua's looked really sharp in the preseason, really sharp. And most important about Tua is you can tell that he's learning or has learned how to take hits better. Uh, how to avoid those sort of, uh, snapping your head back onto the turf kind of hits. Like he's, he's really rolling as he's getting tackled, um, which isn't something easy to do, but you can tell that he's put in work, uh, in the off season because, um, you know, he, he, he's got to do everything he can to try to avoid another concussion. Uh, and, and another concussion could be pretty devastating to his uh, playing career. And then, of course, Mac Jones. And, and Mac Jones, uh, I thought this weekend looked good. Um, the Patriots just, they couldn't protect him. I mean, but Mac Jones was making throws with guys right in his face, standing strong in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield as uh, he was just getting uh, brutalized by the defense. Um, and so the, the Patriots, they got to figure something out with that offensive line because Mac Jones is not going to survive uh, long this season um, and stay upright uh, because uh, they were pretty atrocious. Okay, but getting back to the scrimmage, um, I, I think at this point we can say that uh, we still don't really know that much about the quarterback competition. Um, I, I had long thought, and I and I still do, I think eventually it's going to be Ty Simpson that takes over. Now, does that mean that Ty Simpson is going to start the season as the starter? I don't think so. Um, because during the scrimmage, it was uh, Jalen Milroe who continued to take the majority of the first team snaps, and uh, and he had a he had a solid scrimmage by all accounts. And that uh, when Ty Simpson got his chance to go against the first team defense, uh, he he was solid. And um, then I think one surprise was that uh, Dylan Lonergan, the uh, true freshman, he got some reps with the, the first team. And uh, and really, it looks like he's got a lot of potential, a lot of potential. Uh, and uh, according to uh, this uh, person who I talked to, he, he threw a beautiful deep ball for a touchdown, uh, the ball just sailing about 50 yards in the air. I mean, the, the kid has an amazing arm. You know, he's a, he was a, a pitcher in, in high school, and I still think there's a chance. Uh, I think he's going to play baseball at Alabama. I'm not 100% sure if that's going to be uh, come to fruition or not. But uh, I, I don't think he is a threat to compete for the starting job, uh, at least not early in the season. But you never know. I mean, Nick Saban clearly likes him a lot. Uh, and so uh, I, I think he is uh, showing 
uh, a lot of promise. And, and Coach Saban even commented on uh, Lonergan after the scrimmage, just saying that uh, he's got great potential, great ability, but he just needs experience. Um, that he's just very talented and and uh, and just someone that he wants to continue to develop. And then uh, there's Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, who, you know, based on everything that I was hearing uh, early in camp, that uh, that he'd kind of fallen into into the third slot there, and uh, and really wasn't going to be a threat to get substantial playing time in game one or game two, more significantly in game two against uh, Texas when they come to. Tuscaloosa to play in what I think is going to be the biggest non-conference, most anticipated non-conference home game in Bryant-Denny of the Nick Saban era. But Tyler Buckner, uh, again, by all accounts, he he, he played uh, good. Uh, he led a long scoring drive that finished with a, a touchdown uh, to a touchdown pass to, to Kobe Prentice. So there we are. That's the quarterback situation in a nutshell. Uh, we'll get into we'll get dig deeper into other position battles. Uh, what we learned uh, later on in the show. But uh, let, let's go to break, and we come back. We're going to talk to Cannon Claycomb, who is uh, a, a member of the Alabama golf team. And it was so cool to see Clayton and or, or Cannon, excuse me, Cannon. He's a former. He's a he's a student of mine. Got to uh, got to get that out of the way there. And uh, and we were and so he and his a few of his teammates got up at the crack of dawn and, and flew out to Colorado to uh, to support their teammate, uh, Nick Dunlap. And uh, just what a scene when Nick Dunlap ended up winning it and uh, his teammates came on and uh, were celebrating with him. Uh, Jay Sewell, the Alabama coach, was celebrating with him. And it, it's clear that with uh, Nick Dunlap and Cannon on this team, Alabama is going to be the top golf team in the country uh, starting the season, and they have a really good shot at winning the national title. All right, so when we come back, we're going to talk to Cannon Claycomb. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of hazy sunshine this afternoon, the high 97. Fair tonight, the low 76. Blistering heat tomorrow and Wednesday, sunny both days. Highs between 97 and 100. And Thursday, sunny and very hot with a high near 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back into the show. Lars Anderson with you. My running partner, Matt Coulter, uh, had a commitment this morning, and uh, he may join us later. But now we're talking with Cannon Claycomb, a uh, former student of mine who uh, also is uh, on the Alabama men's golf team. And... He was uh, there yesterday in Colorado watching his buddy Nick Dunlap win the U.S. Amateur. And Cannon, I, I was texting you uh, during the during the match, just saying, "Man, you're getting as much face time as like anyone in the, in the crowd there." And they were even, you know, mentioning you by name. And what I thought was so cool was uh, when they, the camera captured you on several different occasions, you were smiling the way that I smile when I'm watching my son Lincoln, you know, do something really great as an eight-year-old, whether it's, you know, playing baseball or softball, as you were watching your good buddy Nick. And it was almost like you were happier for him than you would even have been for yourself if you had won. Is that kind of how you were feeling? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, Nick is one of my best friends, has been um, since he's gotten to school. So um, watching him do that on, you know, a national stage where everybody's watching. And um, to be honest, like not many people at the golf course were cheering for him. So, um I was trying to do my best to cheer him on and the rest of the guys that were there with us were doing our best. But yeah, I mean, I would obviously love to win that tournament, but this was the second best thing and it was almost as good as winning for sure. Okay, so t- take us through your Sunday, what it was like. And, and on NBC, they gave a, a little, they went into your Twitter feed, right? And we're, and we're playing the video that you posted, but uh, just tell our listeners what your Sunday was like. Yeah, so it started on Saturday when he won his uh, Final Four match. We booked a flight out of Atlanta that left at like 6.45, I think, on Sunday morning. Um, So we drove Saturday night to Atlanta, stayed, slept for about four hours, um, and then woke up at 3.30 to get to the airport, and then um, got to Denver around 7.45, 8 o'clock, which was right when he teed off got right in an Uber, went straight to the golf course, met him on hole six. Um, and then we walked, you know, 27 holes um, and then hung out with the master. And now we're at the airport about to fly back. And I have to go do physicals this afternoon for uh, Alabama. So it's been a long, a long two and a half days. I'm ready to sleep. And um, <laughs> I'm sure Nick is too, but um, I would, I would do it all over again. It was, it was a blast. It was one of the best trips I've ever had. So he, he beat Neil Shipley, who uh, played at or plays at Ohio State. Were his, were Ohio State teammates of his there? Yeah. So there was um, one or two teammates of his that were there, but 
I mean, really, it was the crowd. The crowd was, you know, pulling for Neil. Nick is, you know, ranked super high in the world rankings, and I would say he was a heavyweight, whether he wants to admit that or not. Um, and Neil was kind of a guy that not many people have heard of until the summer. Um, you know, I think what he did in the Final Four match, high-fiving all those people going down the fairway, I think he just quickly became a fan favorite. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great time. And Neil's a great player, and they had a, a fantastic match. I mean, Dunlap won four and three, but I think, you know, they were both double digits under par for the, for the two rounds. And when so uh, Nick again is a is a rising sophomore. When when did you first meet Nick? And and when did you realize you know? And, and you you are returning to Alabama uh, for your fifth year, and you obviously could have gone and, and tried to you know uh, start working your way toward the PGA Tour, hopefully. But um, you returned. I, uh, ostensibly, right, to win a national championship. But when did you – so you're a little bit older than Nick. When did you realize that, that he is really a special, special golfer? Uh, I mean, it started in junior golf watching him. He was a great player in junior golf. And then, you know, as he got to school and we started playing more and more golf with him, we um, we just kind of felt he was different. He did things differently hit the ball differently, putt it, you know, really good. And his one weakness was that he wasn't a great chipper of the ball. So he would make five or six, seven birdies in a round, but he'd give two or three away um, kind of nonchalantly. And over the past year and a half, he's become a really good chipper and pitcher of the golf ball. So I would say he's very fully rounded out as a player. Um, he's going to be on the PGA Tour at some point very soon. And um, we're just trying to take advantage of him while he's at Alabama still. But I think he's been a he's been a world beater for a long time, and I don't think anybody was super surprised by Nick winning this week. And hey, you called it uh, last week when we had you on the show. You said that, that Nick is going to win this thing. Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, but uh, what, what is it just about his, his mind, right? Because we all know that golf is a very mental game. What is it about his mindset that allows him to, I don't know, just kind of like block everything out? Because as you know, uh, the, the tournament, or the, the match play uh, in the very first round couldn't have started much worse for him. And maybe you could uh, just describe what that was like too, but and also just what makes him so mentally tough. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he he's definitely very mentally tough. I think he has, it's, you see it a lot in like really, really good athletes, I think, and they play like they have a chip on their shoulder, whether they actually do or not. And Nick does a really good job of tricking himself into thinking that he's the underdog and that he's the villain and all these different things. And that's what makes him kick like click, you know, it's, it's what he does. And it's, I don't know how he does it, but he, he does it and he does a really good job of it. And, um, I think he always feels like he's playing from behind. Um, and you know, he, he was playing from behind in trip, but he was five over through seven. Um, a lot of people would have just thrown in the towel, but he fought back. He shot even that day um, and then shot one under at the harder Cherry Hills the next day to get into match play. So I think that's a, a really good testament to, you know, the kind of guy, kind of player he is. Is um, Even when he, he isn't behind, he acts like he's behind. And when he is behind, he, he turns it around and he, he doesn't give up and he doesn't quit. And 
I think that's what makes him a really good player, and it's also what makes him a really good teammate. Because in you know college golf, it's five five of us, and we're counting four scores. So, um, you know, you can't have two guys playing bad at the same time. And if he ever does get off to a bad starter, he's you know struggling in a round. He doesn't throw in the towel, and he knows that every stroke counts. And um, I think that's what makes him really elite. I mean, we all know that that golf is a individual sport. But I've always been curious about the dynamic of the team, of being on a golf team. How how do you guys help each other? Like, you know, you, you said that, you know, he was struggling with his chipping. Like, would it be Coach Sewell? And, but not only Coach Sewell, but, like, older guys on the team, like yourself. Would you, would you talk to him about it? Would you work together? Do you guys, uh, like, just, and, and how, does, how do practices work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, with Nick's chipping, I, I'm a really good chipper of the golf ball. I don't putt it great, um, but I do chip it really good. And so my short game statistics are, are pretty solid. Um, and I, I learned how to chip from Coach Sewell. So I think Sewell and Nick really got into the dirt last season. And then, you know, I saw some things as well with his chipping that we worked on. Because what he was doing was he was just trying to he was trying to do too much um, with his chip, and we just kind of simplified things. And um, Coach Siwa and they can probably speak to it a little better than I can, but we we definitely focused in on on chipping. And um, as far as practices go, you know we have scheduled practices three to four hours a day, um, five days a week. Um, we'll play every once in a while, but you know we all are different individuals um, in the game. And we're all playing the same game. So I always try and look for guys on the team that do things that I don't do great and watch them and ask them questions. And, you know, Nick as a freshman last year wasn't afraid to ask questions. And he, he wasn't afraid to you know watch and practice and um, pick up little things that I think other freshmen probably wouldn't have taken the time to, to try and learn how to do um, or try and do it on their own, which... Um, you know, isn't going to work if you don't know how to do it. So um, I think our team practices are a big, big part of that because um, we're all there at the same time and we're all doing the same thing. And then um, as far as strengths and weaknesses go, I think we feed off of each other. And golf is one of those weird sports, too, where it's super individualized. So, like, if Nick wins as an individual in a tournament and we don't win as a team, obviously it's a little upsetting as a team, but we are – you know, always super proud of Nick or myself or Thomas Bonder. Like, it's a weird sport in that, you know, you can lose but still win. Um, and there's always positives, there's always negatives. But um, I think we've done a really good job of that the last few years. This is probably an ignorant question, but are, are any of the college tournaments match play? Or are, do some of them feature match play? Or is it just like you said, you take, there's five players and you take uh, the combined four best scores? Yeah, yeah. So we do play match play um, a couple of times in school. Um, we have a fall event. It's actually in Birmingham. Uh, we host it at the SEC match play. Um, so I think we play like five or six rounds of match play that week. And then the SEC tournament is stroke play for three days. And then the champion is crowned after it turns into match play. Um, and same with the NCAA tournament. You have three rounds of stroke play or four rounds of stroke play. And then it cuts to eight teams. And then the eight teams play for match play for a national championship. So it's a little weird in the fact that we don't play that much match play. And the, the two tournaments that kind of matter the most are match play. 
Um, so I think we've kind of tried to play a little more match play um, in the past couple of seasons. Like this SEC match play tournament that we're playing is kind of new. It used to be a stroke play event. We turned it into a fall match play event just to get some experience. Um, but at home, too, we'll do a lot of match play stuff leading into SECs, leading into NCAAs. And it's a completely different game because I can make it 25 on hole one and I'm only one down instead of being 14 over par through one. So it's a, it's a different, it's a different beast, but I think a lot of us prefer match play and it's, it's more fun to play and we're starting to see more of it, um, every year. How do you prepare for match play? Again, because it's, it is, it is rather rare. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we just kind of play a lot of it leading into the postseason because we know we're going to see it. So I think the biggest thing in match play is, you know, you're playing the guy right in front of you instead of playing the course, which is just completely opposite to stroke play. So I think a lot of the time it matters, you know, who has the tee, who has the advantage in the fairway, and you're you're basing your shot decision off of kind of what that other guy has done. Um, at least in my opinion, some guys might play it differently, but you know, like yesterday, Nick was two up through 21 and he hit a shot into the fairway, hit, hit one onto the green. Shipley hits one into the bunker, hits it over the green. And now Nick is from 20 feet, not trying to make it. He's just trying to two putt it to win the hole. And, um, it doesn't really matter what you shoot. It just matters if you beat the guy in front of you. And I think that's why a lot of us like match plays because we don't usually have to shoot 65 to win a match. We just have to, you know, beat the guy in front of us. So I have a question for you, Cannon. This is uh, Justin behind the glass here. Thanks so much for your time today. But we heard uh-huh. Nick uh, in the post-round interview, you know, talk about he was going to go go with his boys, go with the team, and go celebrate. And you don't have to give a clear answer on this, but the Havemeyer <laughs> Trophy, can it or can it not hold a uh, a beverage in the top of it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the top is, you can take the top off, so it can 100% hold the beverage, um, and I will probably leave it at that. <laughs> well, hey, you are legal, of legal age, so, uh, yeah, yeah no, but, but what was the celebration like? Again, I, I was texting you relatively late, and you said you guys were having dinner, and, and, yeah. uh, it, it must have been just a, a, a magical night. No, I mean, it was, it was one of the most fun nights I've ever had, cause it was a small group of us. It wasn't like a big party. It was, you know, mixed core family and friends. And we just talked about the week. We talked about our experiences. You know, his caddy, Curl, has known him since he was eight. So we were listening to stories about Nick when he was eight, nine, ten, like talking about how he's going to win the USAM and play in the Masters. And, you know, like all of that is now coming true. And it's a, a weird, I'm sure it's really weird for Nick being in this situation because on one hand, he's the U.S. amateur champion and um, he gets everything that comes with it. But in the other sense, he's kind of reached the pinnacle of amateur golf. He's won the U.S. Am, he's won the Northeast Am, he's about to play in the Walker Cup. He's going to play on the U.S. Team World Cup in Dubai after that. Um, he's a second team All-American. Like I could go on and on. So I think he's kind of running out of things to do in amateur golf. And um, I think he's going to start looking ahead pretty soon after this season. Um, but it was, it was an amazing night, man. It was, it was fun to be a part of. And, you know, I didn't hit a single shot for him and I didn't caddy for him, but 
I rooted my I rooted my heart out for him, and uh, it was it was pretty rewarding, you know, having dinner with the trophy like sitting right in front of us. And um, yeah, it was amazing, man. It was it was an awesome night. This this also is probably a ridiculous question, but does he have the potential to be the top player in the world? Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, he came into this week ranked ninth, you know, in the world amateur rankings. I think he's going to move up to three or four after this, and then he's going to get more points for playing the Walker Cup and more points for playing the World Amateur Cup. Um, so I think he'll, you know, be at number one in the world pretty soon um, if he keeps playing the way he is right now. And then I I don't see a reason why he couldn't be number one in the world on, you know, the big tour here in a couple of years. I mean, he, he has that mentality of a champion. He's built really well. He does everything really good. You know, he goes about his job, which is golf, you know, in a very professional manner. And um, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be number one in the world in a couple of years, for sure. And finally, what does this mean for you guys this upcoming season at Alabama with uh, yourself and, and, and Nick and, and your teammates? I mean, I, I would assume that you guys would be the team to beat for the national title. Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely in that conversation now. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is I'm sitting in the airport right now and I, I'm feeling confident, like, and I haven't touched a club in four days. Um, so I think, you know, watching Nick do that and the guys that, that didn't come out that were at home got to watch it on TV and they see what winning looks like. And I think that's a big part of it is believing that you can win. And um, I think we all know that Nick is, in my opinion, the best player in amateur golf. So if he's on our team, I don't see why we can't win. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we're super excited for the next year. We, you know, we start here in three weeks, I think is our first event. Um, Nick's not going to be slowing down anytime soon. And, you know, the rest of us guys are going to be, you know, getting really ready to try and keep up with Nick and compete with Nick because we love him, but we still want to beat the brakes off him every time we see it off. So, <laughs> well, um, Cannon, great. Cannon, thanks so much for your time, and, and please uh, tell Nick congratulations. Uh, look forward to seeing you around Reese Pfeiffer this semester uh, when you're not on the course, and uh, and have a safe trip, get some sleep, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Real time. All right. Cannon Claycomb, what a what a great story this is. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, I uh, wish I was covering golf right now and uh, could write the story of Nick Dunlap um, because uh, it would be a great long form piece. And uh, we're going to be joined next, uh, Steve Irvine, uh, longtime sports writer. He's going to be uh, riding shotgun, hopefully for the uh, rest of the show. And then at the top of the hour, we're going to talk to Al Del Greco, who mentored a young Nick Dunlap. All right, you're listening to Big News Sports. We'll be right back. T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back in to Big News Sports. 
very interesting interview with Cannon Claycomb talking about Nick Dunlap, who made a bunch of history yesterday by winning the U.S. Amateur. He also won the U.S. Junior Amateur uh, a couple years ago, making him just the second player in American golf history to pull off that double. And the other player was dot, dot, dot. Tiger Woods. All right, joining us now is uh, our good friend Steve Irvine, uh, longtime sports writer. And uh, Steve, I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the U.S. Amateur yesterday, uh, but uh, what a, a special story that uh, Nick Dunlap ha- has authored, uh, the rising sophomore at Alabama. Uh, do you do you know much about about uh, about his story? I know a little bit. I mean, uh, knowing, um, you know, I know he's from Huntsville and, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, this is a, a, this is a great state for golf. I mean, it seems like every other week there's some sort of, uh, you know, kid or person from Alabama that does something special that, uh, you know, that you don't, sometimes you don't know about them as much and sometimes you do, but, uh, but I know a little bit. I don't know a lot about him, but, but man, what a special accomplishment that, uh, that he pulled out. I mean, anytime you can be mentioned with you know, on a golf course with Tiger Woods, then that's uh, that's a pretty positive thing. Yeah, um, it, it's pretty amazing. Like he, uh, he got in his first match, I think he was playing the uh, the top ranked player in uh, in in the in the U.S. Amateur, and uh, who also is from Alabama. And, and okay, so. You're, you're right. Alabama produces really good golfers, especially recently. Um, yeah. And what's the reason for that? I mean, it can't just be the weather and the Robert Trent Jones Trail, right? Uh, and and the fact that that people do people do come to Alabama from all around the world to play golf, uh, and because I've I've seen it with my own eyes, I've played with them on on different courses, uh, especially on on the RTJ Trail. But but why is it you think that this state produces such uh, high quality golfers? Well, I, I mean, honestly, I think part of it, Lars, is, is the fact that there are so many special courses to play in the state. I mean, that, you know, there's every community, you know, every part of the state has, you know, great golf courses. And, and when you, you know, when you, when you can play, you know, great courses growing up and, 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 you know, just, uh, you know, as you grow up, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. I think that, uh, you know, I think that piques the interest or, 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 you know, grows the interest when, when you're playing great courses. And, and I think that's a big part of it. Not just Robert Trent Jones, you know, courses, but just every community, you know, ha- has, uh, you know, every big community has, has great places to play. So I think that's part of it. And, uh, and, and I do think too that, that, um, success breeds success. So like if you're a kid growing up and you see these special things going on, it's, uh, it makes you want to become more involved. It makes you want to, you know, learn and, and, you know, chase that same dream. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, my son Lincoln is just obsessed with golf, and 
he tells me every single day he wants to play golf. He wants to play golf. He wants to play golf. And uh, he's, he's got a beautiful little swing. And uh, we watched the U.S. Amateur together. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was I was telling him that uh, our previous guest, Cannon, who uh, they kept the, the, the camera kept going to him that he's been in my classes and now Lincoln just wants to play around a golf with Cannon. And, and uh, so that, that, that's pretty cool. But uh, how, how was your weekend, Steve? Uh, what, what's uh, what's going on in your life? And have you gotten to the point yet where you can f- make a formal announcement on what uh, your next endeavor is? Well, I wish I, I wish I was to that point. I mean, there's just there's a lot of things, a few things that are are just swirling out there. So I'm not quite there yet. Uh, did did get a chance on Friday night to go out and watch uh, UAB scrimmage, and uh, so that was kind of. Uh, that was interesting to, to see that uh, and, um, you know, see see kind of where they're at right now. And uh, other than that, it was a, it was a, a just relaxing weekend. Didn't do a whole lot. Didn't really want to do a whole lot. You know, it was one of those things. Um, I did see, I uh, got a text from uh, our, our buddy Jay Barker uh this yeah. weekend and uh he sent he sent me the information that Harrison his son uh who is a walk, who is a walk-on quarterback at UAB uh was awarded a scholarship and i i think did you take the video i think you did i think you shot the video that Jay ultimate i don't know if Jay reached out to you but i i, I believe i believe you Sorry. shot the video i could be wrong no. on that uh, it was Ted, it was Ted Steely at uh, the, the sports information in UAB. I was there for, but yeah, he shot uh, Ted and his people shot that video. What was the scene like? Oh, it was tremendous. You know, it was it was uh, it was one of those things that um, you know, you I never personally I never get tired of watching those. Never, I, you know, and, and I love. And I tear up every time. You know, I, I tell myself like I'm not going to cry at this, and I'm not going to cry at this one, and I end up crying. But but just uh, you know, it was after the scrimmage, and and you know, Dilfer uh, had everybody uh, you know around talking, and and he just brought it up that uh, you know he brought. I love the way he brought it up too, because he he brought it up that he talked about how the portals open, and and you know they 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 look every day at the portal, and there's still people in it, there's still people trying to find spots, and. He said about a week ago or 10 days or a few days ago, I don't remember the, the time frame, he said, we quit looking because there's three dudes on his team that deserve a scholarship. And then he named, you know, he named Charlie Good, a linebacker for Homewood that's, um, that's kind of, you know, right now is a starter, you know, and he's a, he was a walk-on and played some uh, last year in special teams. And then Adam Lepowski, who's a, a, a backup center from Hoover High School, that's uh really has come on and really has helped uh kind of helped them get to the number of guys they need to be ready to play at, at offensive line because he's able to play the backup center which is such a key spot and then and then Harrison Barker and, and he just kind of had a little spiel on each each one of, of why he was choosing those guys and and uh, it was just really neat you know and it's really it's really cool to see and you you know we've all seen it you know a bunch of times but it's really cool to see how genuinely happy their teammates are for him. It's not fake, you know, there's no, there's no like, okay, I need to cheer, I'm gonna clap, you know, I'm gonna do a golf clap. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but it's genuine, genuine just joy. And, and so that's really, it was really a cool scene. And like I say, I never get tired of it. And, and, um, you know, fortunately, 
we see it a lot, and uh, and and so it was just a, a neat moment. And what have you seen from uh, uh, from Harrison Barker, Jay's son? Obviously, uh, you know, I did a radio show with Jay for about five years, and uh, and Harrison would come around, and you know, he's just he's such a low key, soft spoken, uh, just a, and, and it's a great, great young man. But on the field, what what have you seen from him? You know, it's funny. Is is I I thought I remember watching him in high school at Spain Park and and thinking like this this kid can play to college. I mean this kid. I mean you know the, this kid's a good football player. And and unfortunately in this world of you've got to fit into you know and you know the, uh, a certain height, certain weight, certain speed, whatever it may be. You know he just he was just too small to play. You know according to the scouts, but. He's a good football player, and I think that that's one thing that really jumped out to uh, to Trent Dilfer right away. I mean, because Trent Dilfer obviously knows quarterback play, he knows he, he knows Jay Parker, but but he you know he he, he talked about Harrison quickly about hey this kid's better than than Petey is, so I'm not surprised that he you know that this is what has come about. And the, the other thing that I think that Harrison Barker brings this this quarterback room and this team is. So he's going to be the guy that's doing the signaling. He signals, signals in the plays, and but he signals it. He's not just you know sometimes guys are signaling and just kind of know the signals, and you know they know what to call and they make that call. He's a guy that can see things develop, and you know while he's signaling it in, you know he's not just a guy who's who's there to to give signs. I mean he's he, he's his his knowledge of the game and his knowledge of his offense is. Is huge, so so I think it, it, it's kind of ha- ha- they have another set of eyes there too. It, and then if he you know if he needs to play, I think he can play. I mean he, he's telling that you know he, I mean he uh, he made like two throws the other night. But you know you, you see the throw, you kind of don't really notice who's playing quarterback, and and you immediately look to see who made that throw. And and both times or double times I did that it was Harrison Barker and making good good arm strength. I don't remember what the the routes were right now, but I just remember thinking like, Man, who's who threw that? Thinking it was gonna be either either Zeno or their backup Liddy and it was Harrison Barker. So he's a guy that, that if they need to play him, it, you know, they're not gonna be afraid to play him for for, for sure. Steve, can uh, can you hang out uh for the rest of the show? That's, I know that's a oh, big I'm, ask. Oh man, absolutely! <laughs> uh, I'm hanging out. All right, all right. That's that's terrific. Okay, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson and Steve Irvine. Top of the hour. We're going to be talking to Mr. Al Del Greco. We'll be right back. So. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. 
Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home 2 Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of hazy sunshine this afternoon, the high 97. Fair tonight, the low 76. Blistering heat tomorrow and Wednesday, sunny both days. Highs between 97 and 100. And Thursday, sunny and very hot with a high near 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 97 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. Hope everyone is having a good Monday. This time next week, we're going to be talking about actual college football games this weekend. Steve, what do you think about it being called week zero? I, I find that so strange and counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. I've always found it silly because why? 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 Why not just say this week one and and let's go and and next week's week two. Now it might be your first week, but it's still week two. I don't know. I've never quite understood exactly why they do it, and um, there might be a reason. There might be a great reason. Um, but I've never heard anybody explain that reason to me that uh, that makes any sense. Justin in Tuscaloosa, uh, behind the glass there, what do you, what do you think about just labeling the games on Saturday week zero? I'm with you, Lars. I don't really like it. If anything, it just confuses me because I don't. I'm I'm happy college football is back, but it's not Alabama, so I'm not concerned that much with it. It's just, I'm like, okay, well, if Notre Dame is playing on week one for Alabama, why do they have two games played already? It's just extra baggage, I guess, that really confuses me, and I'm sure it confuses some other people as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the slate of games isn't, uh, isn't terrific. Um, I think probably the most intriguing matchup is uh, Navy versus Notre Dame. Which is in Ireland, uh, and that's going to be at uh, 1.30 on NBC on on Saturday. Um, and just uh, I'm interested in seeing Sam Hartman, the former Wake Forest quarterback, uh, lead Notre Dame's offense. And is it possible that uh, Sam Hartman again? He, he I think he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Is it possible that Notre Dame, uh, which uh, I believe they're ranked 13th in the country, um, uh, can make a run at the college football playoffs? And the thing is, you know, a team that you don't want to play, uh, Steve, in the very first game of the season, 
especially in a foreign country when just like you know your body clock's all messed up is navy because yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're you're not going to see another team running the triple option right right that's crazy that's crazy i, I don't quite understand that that scheduling there but uh you know and, and it is going to be interesting to see what navy does you know how if they if they are a little bit different, you know that with you know with the with the with their coaching change. I don't you know I mean I know that they're running the same stuff they say and but how much different are they? And and so not only do you have to worry about the triple option, but you also have to worry about well they got to do something different because it's a different you know it's a different uh, not staff because they kept the, the the defensive coordinator, but but still you don't you don't know. I mean and. There's a lot of unknowns yeah. there that are that are scary to me. I mean, you know, and it's always you're right. It's always scary to play that triple option when you only play it once a year. Uh, no, and, you know, and, and you're just, correct. I I forgot about that. Uh, that their coach was fired. Uh, Ken again. I am so yeah. bad with pronouncing names. Ken <laughs> Niamatalo. Low. <laughs> I call him. I call him Ken, Coach Ken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> smart. Yeah. Smart move. Yeah. I remember when he was such a hot coaching prospect. Uh, one of my buddies from Sports Illustrated, George Dorman, was thinking of writing a book with him. Yeah. And now, <laughs> now. Uh, uh, just shows you uh, how things yeah. can change, but yeah, to me this this is kind of a scary game for Notre Dame. One, you're working in a new quarterback in Sam Hartman. Yes, he's got experience, but still new to the system. And then you're playing a Navy team that has a new coach, and so you have really no idea what the heck they're going to be doing. And you know that the midshipmen. They always play tough, really tough. Mm-hmm. They're always disciplined. Right. Uh, they have experience at quarterback. Um, and, you know, what, what's the atmosphere in Ireland going to be like? Well, I would suspect it will be a huge pro-Notre Dame crowd. But uh, still, y- you never know. Um, right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's a curious it, – It's a. I think it's a bit of a risk for Notre Dame yeah. to, to take on this game. Oh, I think absolutely. I think absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a neat thing that they go to Ireland and play. And, you know, I mean, I, I like the idea of it. I just don't like the idea of the opponent and maybe the open, you know, the idea that it's an opener. Because the thing is, if Navy's played a game, that takes a lot of the mystery out of it. You know, okay, you see what they do. Okay, they do, they, they are doing the option, but, but, but still you, you have, a, you have more, there's no questions there. You know, it's the same thing. Now, not only is the questions that happening to, to, to defend that darn, that darn thing, but, but also, you know, you just don't know how, how, how much different it's going to be. What do they put, what different things are they putting into it? So it's, it's a, it's a big gamble. I am really looking forward to see Sam Hartman, how he, how he plays. So I thought he, he was so good at, uh, you know, at, at Wake Forest and, you know, I just I remember seeing him on that QB one show. You know, back in high school, and and, and uh, so it's kind of followed him since then. So it is going to be kind of neat to see uh, to, to, to see how he, you know, how he he's doing, how he does it Notre Dame. Yeah, another really interesting game is uh, for week zero is Ohio at San Diego State, which is on FS1 at 6 Central, uh, because Ohio, mark my words, Ohio 
is the one team from Group of Five that could sneak into the college football playoffs. They have that much talent, and uh, the schedule sets up well for them. And so we'll be able to get a our first peek at a team that could uh, that could uh, crash the party of the college football playoff in the last year of four teams. All right, uh, that, that does it for the first hour of Big News Sports. We will be back in just a few minutes with uh, Al Del Greco. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. The game. The Alabama Securities Commission protects you from financial fraud. Anyone asking you for investment money must be licensed. You're careful with your money. Fraudsters aren't. Before you invest, call our hotline at 1-800-222-1253 to verify the licensing of the person making an offer and the product. Don't lose your hard-earned money. Learn to protect yourself at asc.alabama.gov. Paid for by the Investor Protection Trust and brought to you by the Alabama Broadcasters Association and this station. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A town square media station. More big noon sports coming up. Welcome back in to Hour 2 of Big Noon Sports. We now have the one, the only, Al Del Greco joining us. Al, how are you doing this weekend? How have you been? Why don't you respond to my text messages? Well, I haven't gotten a text message from you. <laughs> uh, I was I texted you, or maybe I, maybe I didn't text you. I thought I did. Uh, I was looking I to was- see if you would uh, coach my... Coach who? Uh, Lincoln, little Lincoln, uh, who's, who's become obsessed with golf. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm just, uh, joking around with you. But, um, what, so Nick Dunlap, uh, wins the U.S. amateur. Uh, they mention your name on air during the final round as having, uh, tutored, uh, and, and coached Nick when he was younger. Can you just tell us about what that experience was like? Yeah, I actually, when he was in the third grade, I actually helped him 
with the punt, pass, and kick competition. I did the the kicking and punting with him and stuff. Um, I've known him, uh, you know, obviously forever. Uh, really kind of saw what kind of a player he was going to be as far as a golfer when he was about 12 or 13. Um, he was playing the blue tees at Greystone, you know, back then shooting 72 and 70, 72 to 75. Um, and everybody just kept talking about this kid and obviously followed him. You know, he started at Spain Park. Um, and then moved, I think they moved to South Carolina for a little while and then they moved back to Athens, Alabama. Uh, so kind of lost track of him a little bit at the later part of high school. But, um, you know, what he's done, uh, in the last kind of, I guess, year and a half is absolutely incredible. I know Jay Sewell at Alabama, you know, got him to commit very early, uh, was a great pickup for him. And then you figure, you know, winning the Northeast Amateur, which is a prestigious amateur event, the North-South Amateur this summer, um, and now winning the U.S. Amateur on top of winning the U.S. Junior two years ago. Um, you talk about a guy that just has had an incredible summer and is kind of blossoming into the player that we all kind of knew he might be. But, uh, you know, in... I think they said it best on the telecast, guys, if you were listening to some of the stories they were talking about. Jeff Curl, his caddy, who's also a member at Greystone. Um, just the work ethic Nick has and the dedication to doing what he has to do in order to be the best. And you don't see that in a lot of people. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people that have a lot of great talent, but they want to they wanna do this, that, and everything else on top of it. Literally, this kid puts everything aside and gets everything he needs, whether it's working out, mental focus, whatever it is, practice on the course. He takes care of that first. Uh, and I think that's something that has to be admired uh, about the kid, and that's why he's playing as good as he is. And, and, and Al, um, when you are uh, – okay, well, let's go back to the punt, pass, and kick thing, right? Like he, he made it all the way to the national finals, correct? And and was it his parents that approached you to help him? Yeah. I mean, they, he was a member at Greystone. I'm a member at Greystone. So obviously, you know, they knew who I was and all that. Said, hey, you know, he, he made it through the regionals. He's going to the finals. Can you Can you help him out? And I don't remember actually how he actually finished at the at the finals, but you know that kind of tells you what kind of an athlete he is, all the way back to a, to a young age. You knew he had something. And again, I'll I'll go back to some of the things that Jeff Curl, his caddy, uh, has told me is you guys have heard me and Jay and and other people talk about it from time to time, and and maybe yourselves too. You see these kids or this person that has, they call it the it factor. It's, it's undescribable, but it just means they have what it takes in order to be extremely good and great at a particular sport or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it was recognized very early. And like I said, you put that it factor and that talent with the work ethic, you've got you know, kind of the, the trifecta there. And 
we saw in the uh, very first round at the uh, U.S. Amateur, when it was match play, I believe, uh, he was playing uh, another golfer from the state of Alabama, which kind of underscores a larger point of just how good uh, Alabama is at producing high-quality golfers. What, what do you think the reason is for that? Great question. Um, I'll go back to my days as the high school coach at Spain Park. Um, you know, Mountain Brook won multiple state championships. Spain Park won multiple state championships. Uh, Vestavia has won multiple now. Hoover won multiple back then. I think just the golf facilities that we have in this city uh, are second to none when you look at, you know, Greystone. Shoal Creek, Birmingham Country Club, Mountain Brook Club, Vestavia Country Club, and then even the you know the public venues like Highlands and uh, the one out in Bessemer. Um, it's just great golf. It's it's all the all the facilities that you need to uh, to establish a great golf game if if you want to put the work into it. And Again, I'll, I'll say it about, you were talking about Gordon Sargent, who's from Mountain Brook and is the number one amateur in the country. Again, he's just different than other kids. He's got major talent. He's got great attitude. He's got a great work ethic. He's a good person. And when you put all those intangibles together, that's kind of when you find, uh, those elite athletes. And, you know, we've seen many of them over the years that, you know, we've talked about from time to time. Uh, how much, this, this Steve Irvine, how much do you think when, when, when kids see the success of, of whether it be Nick, whether it be Gordon Sargent, just do whoever, when they actually see it, how much do you think that helps grow the game too? Where, where they, they're watching with their dad and they say, man, I want to do that. I mean, is that a big part of this too? Oh, I don't think there's any question. It, it, it just puts that dream in your mind. Um, and let's face it, we're, we all dreamed about being certain people at playing certain sports growing up and uh, I think they're doing a great job for all the local kids here that are seeing that um, as well as the, the kids nationally as you know with, with what they've done but uh, I think you know the biggest thing that again I'll reiterate it the biggest thing that they do is they put the work in and you know say what you want but this, this generation right now just doesn't seem to have the same work ethic uh, as generations ago. And I think that's why it's so uh, pointed that Nick is doing what he's done. And, and I think that's why so many people go to the extremes they do to tell people, hey, it's all about the work that he's put in. It's about what he's done behind the scenes. It's not just this really good golfer going out and just playing well time after time. There's a lot more to it that he's sacrificed for this. Hey, Al, this is Justin uh, behind the glass here. We just saw Nick go and win the biggest tournament for an amateur golfer, the U.S. Amateur. But like you were saying, you, you coached him up through the punt, pass, and kick program that the NFL had. Did you did you think that you would see him win that tournament, the USM, and maybe not be kicking in the NFL or, or in college? Well, when I did the punt, pass, and kick, I didn't know how good a golfer he was when he was in third grade. Uh, like I said, when he was about 12 or 13, is when he kind of started to blossom uh, out at Greystone. And uh, following him from there, you know, you, 
Did you know he was going to win a U.S. Amateur? I, I would say no. Did you know he was somebody that had a lot of talent? Yes, definitely that was the case. He was much better uh, than all the other kids his age. Um, but, you know, I don't know how serious he was. And, and they said something on the telecast yesterday that he kind of preferred doing golf because he's the one in control and he doesn't have to worry about what the rest of the team's doing on top of that where where football was concerned. So I think he made the right decision. I think there's a great future in front of him. And, you know, my understanding is that, you know, with, with what's ahead, uh, he's already locked in uh, with with a lot of money coming his way whenever he decides to go professional. One more question and, for you. Yeah. I know the I've, – I've heard a lot of comparisons for NFL kickers and collegiate kickers in that the way you use your leg is almost like a golf swing and how it can be very similar um, movements in that. Could you, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, anybody that – you know, when you break down a golf swing, one of the key contributors to that is the plane of the golf swing. And that's kind of just the rotation that the club goes back in the back swing and then forward in the forward swing. Very similar to what you do kicking soccer style with a football. Uh, punting a football is a little more straight line uh, than soccer style kicking. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of similarities in that, you know, you're aiming at something uh, you're wanting it to go straight. If not, you know, with a golf club, maybe move it a little right to left or left to right, depending on what your favorite shot shape is. But I think that and then just the similarities of having to execute a single rep of whether it be a kick or a punt or a golf shot, tee shot, an iron shot, a pitch shot, a putt, you have to kind of have that ability to just focus for that little minute bit of time and execute the way that you've practiced and, and not let the pressure and the situation get to uh, your physical and your mental being so that you can execute the way you know you can. We just had uh, Biscuit Bruce call in here to the station. He had a question. He wanted to know um, how your golf team over at Samford's doing. Doing good. Uh, we get everybody back the, from last year that uh, we counted on in the in the five-man rotation, so that's a good thing. Added a freshman from North Carolina that actually won the Carolinas Junior Amateur this summer. Uh, he was top five, top six in the uh, Bubba Conley over in Memphis, which is a big junior tournament, so uh, hoping that, you know, he provides another punch for us. We play in a really good conference, the Southern Conference. We had four teams go to regionals last year. And uh, it's going to be tough, but uh, we're we're getting better. I like what we're what we're doing, and I think we're going to have a good year this year. Al, can you stick around with uh, yeah. Steve just for one more segment to talk a little Auburn sure. football? You bet. Awesome. All right, great. All right, listening to Big News Sports. We'll be right back with Al Del Greco. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, 
Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home 2 Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and 5 private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of hazy sunshine this afternoon, the high 97. Fair tonight, the low 76. Blistering heat tomorrow and Wednesday, sunny both days. Highs between 97 and 100. And Thursday, sunny and very hot with a high near 100. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 96 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back into the show. This is Lars Anderson. We've got Steve Irvine sitting in for Matt Coulter and Justin behind the glass. Uh, talking to Al Del Greco. Al, uh, let's switch topics here to Auburn football. Uh, any surprise from you, uh, that Peyton Thorne was named the starting quarterback by Hugh Freeze? Uh, I don't, I don't know if you'd call it a surprise. I think, you know, when, when he was announced as a transfer, I think he kind of, uh, went head to head with Robbie Ashford. People thinking, okay, it's going to be one of them. Um, again, I haven't seen any of the practices. Uh, or anything like that, but you look at what Hugh Freeze has done in the past, and apparently Peyton Thorne is gives him the best chance to win. I have heard that since the announcement that uh, Robbie Ashford's had some pretty good practices uh, on top of that. So you you know you like to see that and see people compete, but I I certainly think you know if Peyton's a the quarterback, they need to find a way to get Robbie Ashford involved because he's a heck of an athlete. And he's somebody that can, you know, he can help and benefit your team somewhere on the football field. Yeah, Al, kind of on that note, and kind of uh, one thing that I thought was really neat last week, once after he made the announcement, was was Hugh Freeze coming out a couple of days later, a day or so later, and and basically saying out loud that if Robbie Ashford keeps playing like this, we're going to have, you know, he's going to be on the field too. To, 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 as a former player, as a player. How how nice is that to hear when a when a coach publicly says, you know, publicly praises you after a tough situation, you know, after you know, not winning the job like that? Is it is that important? Do you think? I, I definitely think it is, especially if you continue to work your tail off and and improve and uh, kind of show what it is that they're looking for. And again, I'll give Robbie Ashford a lot of credit because in today's day and age with the transfer portal. And people being able to just kind of, you know, hey, okay, it didn't work out here. He doesn't like me. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, he didn't take that attitude. He went to work. Uh, he's still putting the work in. And I still think, you know, there's a possibility he could be a big contributor for this football team. 
Another player in the Auburn backfield has been um, that's garnered a lot of attention is Jarquez Hunter. We know his uh, scandal and suspension that kind of went on. Um, apparently, he's back on the practice field. How much of a, I guess, relief is it that Auburn will possibly have him for the upcoming season? Yeah, I, I was, you know, uh, obviously with everything that happened in the off season, you you kind of put that in the hands of the coaches and the administration uh, as to how they're going to handle that. Um, a lot of talent there, uh, a lot of, uh, I think, you know, uh, expertise, and uh, I think, you know, he was the lead guy coming back, so obviously he'll be the front runner, um, but from what I understand, the, the stable running backs they have is actually pretty darn good. So uh, I think, you know, you'll see a lot of rotational stuff, especially early in the first few games. Uh, but, you know, hopefully he learned from what happened over the summer and can kind of put his best foot forward and keep his head on straight and, and go in the direction he needs to go now. Al, from your many years of service in the uh, NFL, you saw how free agents would come into the team and and uh, and then have to sort of fit into the culture, the scheme, all of that. And now Auburn, uh, Hugh Freeze obviously went aggressively into the transfer portal. Uh, you know, reshaped the offensive line, tight end position, the wide receiver position, quarterback. What are the challenges of of getting all these guys kind of on the same page? And because we've really never seen anything like this in college football. And I think there's a parallel between what's happening at Auburn and what's happening in Colorado with Deion Sanders. Um, Again, what are the biggest challenges and and how do you think it's going to go? Great question. Um, I do think, you know, with with what you said about uh, all the the transfers and the stuff that's coming in, I mean, every position group, I think, of the ones you mentioned uh, have been upgraded. With with the exception of maybe the quarterback, we're still yet to see what's going on there, but uh, that's that's a, a, a singular unit. How this team, and I think the challenge that Coach Freeze and the other coaches are going to have is how do you make, as you said, how do you make them gel? How do you make them become comfortable with one another as quickly as possible so that you get that flow in the offense, you get that timing down uh, and everything that goes along with those variables of being a great offensive football team. Uh, with Dion, you know, I, I think I think he's going to do a good job there. I think Hugh Freeze has a little more coaching stability and and tenure. I think that works well in his favor. Um, and I don't know, you know, what the talent upgrade at Colorado is like, but uh, we certainly, and you mentioned that the offensive line, I think, was the number one place. And if they can give, whether it's Robbie Ashford or Peyton Thorne, time to throw more so than they have the past couple years, and then you add the running game and you add some of the new receivers that uh, can hopefully do a better job running routes and getting open, I think there's a chance, you know, they, they could be pretty good. But there's also a chance that it doesn't click right away. And I think that's that's the biggest question mark that everybody has with this team right now. Uh, how do you think this day, I mean, obviously when you're playing it was a whole lot different, but 
do coaches have to handle players different with with the way the portal is and with the way the guys can just leave and 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 that type of thing? Is it a different sort of way you have to handle a player these days? I think to some extent, yes. Uh, you still obviously have to have your you know your team rules and the discipline that goes along with it and what's expected. Uh, as Lars said, the culture of of what your team is all about. There's never going to be a player that's bigger than the program. Um, uh, certainly, I haven't seen one yet, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the the culture of of what college football is in and what we live in now, yes, is, is truly different than it was five or even you know ten or even five years ago. And there is a way that you handle practice differently. They've changed you know a lot of the rules of the game. They've changed safety issues that go along with it and I think with what they've done with the uh, NIL and uh, you know the transfer portal and all that yes there's definitely a different way and there's a way that all coaches are having to adjust to that now we saw uh, Auburn flip and and gain several big time recruits um, one being stolen away from Alabama and do you think Hugh Freeze is kind of changing the culture down there and and looking for a a big um, I guess flip in powers in the in Alabama football, um, as we're seeing more and more recruits, and we know he's a, a great recruiter to begin with. Yeah, well, obviously that was one of the big factors when they were, you know, looking to hire a new coach. Um, they knew uh, Coach Harson, you know, didn't really do a good job of recruiting. Uh, they knew we were lacking in talent, and they knew they needed to find somebody that had some clout that when he went out there and he went in the living room and talked to the mom and the dad uh, that, you know, they could look at him and say, okay, I, I like this man. I like what he's done in the past and I like what he represents. And I think Coach Freeze, you know, kind of uh, stepped into that role in a good situation. And like you said, the way the way recruiting goes nowadays, you know, you got the kids recruiting other kids once they commit. I don't know how much that played into any of the commitments or the flips that we had, but uh, it certainly doesn't hurt. And I think, again, that's that's just part of the day and age we live in, that you got to get the kids on campus. you got to get, you know, the notice of, of what's going on, and then you have a chance to get them. I, I don't remember the particular name of one young man, but he, he was an Auburn fan. I think he was a four-star, uh, was an Auburn fan, and we hadn't even talked to him until – Coach Freeze got here, and he ended up, you know, committing or, or or flipping from somewhere. And to me, that's just unexcusable that you have somebody that's a fan wants to come play there as a four or five star recruit, and and you're not recruiting him. There's something wrong with that picture, and I think Coach Freeze is rectifying that. Al, I wanted to uh, jump to the NFL, and uh, I was thinking of you when I was watching uh, Cleveland against Philadelphia, and uh, Cleveland's kicker is Cade York, who arguably is the greatest kicker in LSU history. He was a fourth-round pick last year. And he's really been struggling. Uh, he missed, uh, from 47 during a game winning try or for a game winning try on Thursday. There was a penalty though, so he got uh, another chance and then he missed a 41 yarder wide left. 
And this comes after last year when he was just 24 of 32 uh, in field goal attempts, uh, which uh, 75%, and that uh, was one of the worst conversion rates of any starter in the league. Um, and he missed two extra points. So, one, did you ever go through a struggle like that as a kicker? In uh, I, I doubt you did. But uh, two, what would you tell him? Like, how do you get out of a funk as a kicker when clearly he has all the physical talent in the world? Yeah, you look back to his career at LSU, and I mean, a uh, phenomenal, uh, big time draft pick, uh, has done pretty good so far in his NFL career. But I, I think Lars, quite honestly, and when you started this question, I had a big smile on my face because I knew where you were going. Uh, everybody goes through it to some extent or another. Um, luckily for him right now, it's in preseason. It's not costing them any games. Uh, you can work your way out of it. You just got to go back like anything else and just go by feel uh, almost. That Okay, what, what was the feeling that I used to have when I was kicking the ball really well? Uh, go back and look at film. Um, look at the way the ball's being held. Maybe he has a different holder this year. I don't know. Uh, just little things like that, that what, what is different from when I was doing as, as well as I knew I could and, and showed my ability. And little by little, you find little pieces and you just keep going back and you just keep banging footballs at practice. And the more that go through, the more confidence comes back. And once you get a couple that, that go down in the game, everything's fine again. But like I said, everybody's gone through some extent of it. You know, you can go back to Adam Vinatieri when he was with the Colts uh, maybe two years before he retired. They were wondering where they were going to change kickers in the middle of the year. And you're talking about a guy that's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he even went through it. So I, I, I'm not really too worried for Cade. I think he's going to do a good job, and, you know, the mentality part's there. You just got to get back to what feels right and get some confidence going yourself. Al, um, final question. Uh, tomorrow is a really big day for my uncle, Ken Anderson, who you uh, connected me with on air. Yeah. Um, the seniors committee is voting uh, the final three uh, to get into the Hall of Fame. And uh, by precedent, basically all three that they vote, they've narrowed it down to 12 and they're going to vote to get down to three. And precedent suggests that all three will get in. Do you think Ken Anderson finally gets into the Hall of Fame? I think with his career, Lars, uh, what he did at Cincinnati and then all the years coaching, I know you're supposed to go in as a player, but but I do think that the coaching and what you've added to the game itself uh, should be kind of an extraneous factor there. Um, I think from a, a Legends committee, I think, yes, I, I would love to see him in there because not only was he a great quarterback and, and a great coach, but he was somebody that every year we went and played the Bengals would always come up to me during warm-ups and, you know, kind of talk about golf and talk about kicking and all this other stuff. Just a really, really nice man that was genuine in everything that he did. And you love to see great things happen to good people. Al, thanks so much uh, for your friendship and uh, for spending a half hour with us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, have a wonderful afternoon. All right, guys. Thank you.
That's Al Del Greco, longtime NFL kicker and uh, all-around good guy. All right, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. If you're a Dragon, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Welcome back into the show. I'm Lars Anderson, joined with Steve Irvine today, who's filling in for Matt Coulter. Steve, uh, the... All the AP All American uh, list was uh, just announced here uh, about an hour ago or so, and uh, really no huge surprises. Um, uh, Georgia, the two-time defending national champions, has the the most player on first team with four, four. <laughs> Tied in Brock Bowers. Uh, center, uh, Cedric Van Pran, safety, Malik, uh, Malachi Starks, and linebacker, uh, Jamin Dumas Johnson. And then, uh, the third ranked Ohio State Buckeyes have three, uh, headlined by Marvin Harrison. And of course, the quarterback is USC's Caleb Williamson. In, in your estimation, who just, just as a football player, not necessarily who's going to have the biggest impact on a game, but as a football player, who is the best player in the country this year heading into the college football season in your in your mind? Well, that's that's not an easy one, but I I, I can't imagine uh, Brock Bowers to me is uh, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly uh, I mean, what I was going to say. He, he's so special. You know, when he was a freshman, I think he was a freshman, when UA, uh, UAB went and played there in, uh, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. When I think he was a freshman. And, and, and it was, you know, you knew he was good coming in, but he, he caught a, a little, I think a little pass in the flat and he turned up and he flat out ran really the entire, almost the entire UAB secondary. Now, now Starling Thomas, who's a 425 guy, had got caught on the opposite side of the field. So he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, wasn't racing him, but he was racing everybody else in the secondary. And not only did he outrun him, he, he outran him easily. You know, I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, what, what, what in the heck? You know, this big kid running down the field like that. And, you know, at first you thought, man, UAB must really be slow. And then you start watching do that to other secondaries. And you're like, okay, well, it's not that they're slow. It's just that he's, he's a special guy. You know, and, and the play he made against, you know, on the sideline to get that first down, you know, last year in the playoff. I mean, he just, I, I just think he's the best pure football player going into this season, at least that, that, that I've seen in college football, you know, currently in college football. I mean, he's, he's special now. He is. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a tight end uh, dominate uh, the way that he has. And if I'm, if I have a top 
three pick in the NFL draft next year. Uh, you know, you, you don't know if he, it'd be tough to take a tight end number one overall, but uh, he's just such a, a game changer and such a special, special player. You got to consider taking him really high. I also think Marvin Harrison Jr., um, the receiver from Ohio State, uh, is just uh, so smooth. Have you had a chance to see Marvin Harrison play? At least, like I've never seen him in person, but just on on television and tape. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him several times on television. Remember in, in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago? Uh, you know, yeah, he's 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 something. I mean, he, yeah, he's again, he's just one of those. Um, just guys that, that seems to do it kind of effortlessly, you know, just, uh, seems like just, you know, just, he just always makes the plays. And then, so yeah, I've seen him a few times. I, I'm unfortunately never in person, but I would like to see him in person, uh, you know, at some point. And what are your thoughts on, uh, Caleb Williams, um, at, at, at USC? I, uh, was uh, at my my son Lincoln's uh, uh, flag football practice on uh, sat on Friday afternoon, and uh, one of the other dads um, uh, went to school at Oklahoma, and I tell you. He is just so mad at Lincoln Riley for not just leaving. Not just leaving for USC and and uh, and you know taking the money, but the fact that he took so many players with him, including Caleb Williams, it almost seems like it it wasn't fair, and it it really set Oklahoma back a long ways. But um, just your your thoughts on Caleb Williams, and would you consider him? Uh, it seems like we always do this when uh, the returning Heisman Trophy winner comes back, right, for the next season. Would you uh, consider him the front runner at the beginning of the year to win uh, a, a second conse- or a, 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 a consecutive Heisman, which is something that hasn't been done uh, since uh, Archie Griffin in the mid seventies? I think talent wise, you 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 have to consider him the favorite coming in. Uh, you, you know, obviously. You know, tradition or you know, history is going to tell us different. Uh, but um, but I, I mean, I, the thing about him is that that, that has always struck me. It struck me with him is is you know you try to you, you try to pigeonhole guys. Okay, well they're a really good running quarterback, but they struggle throwing the ball. They're really good throwing 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 the ball, but you know they're a statue back there type thing. He's a guy that truly beats you both ways, and and, and truly can beat you both ways. Not just. Not just to, you know that, that he's such a good passer that he beats you with his feet because you're so worried about his passing. I mean, you can focus on stopping him in one area, and he still beats you in that area. So that to me, that's what makes him him so special. Um, and I agree with your friend. I, I, I hate that the fact that he took took so many guys with him, and you know, I mean, that's just the part of college football now. But 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 it's. Um, that's tough. I mean, that's a tough situation to me. But, but I, I mean, he's a special guy. If he stays healthy, you know, which he didn't, you know, at the end of last year, he was banged up. If he's not banged up at the end of last year, maybe it's a little different. Their end of the year is a little different. But, uh, you know, if he stays healthy, I mean, I, he certainly, to me, is a favorite coming in. 
Justin, uh, Alabama only has one player on the first team AP preseason All American team, and, and that's Kool Aid. Uh, then on the second team, uh, see, they have JC Latham, uh, obviously tackle, and let's see, who else am I missing here? Uh, Dallas Turner. And I think that's it. I'm just scrolling through the list. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, for both of you guys, let's start with Justin and, and then to Steve. Um, th- the fact that Georgia has four guys on the first team, on the first team, d- does this mean anything? Does this, or does this show us that, that Georgia truly has, at least in the perception of the national media, just absolutely taking a, a big step in front of Alabama. Again, starting with you, Justin. I don't think it means. I don't think it means anything. I think. Um, I think they're riding the wave from winning back-to-back national championships, and they're getting um, overestimated. And if you look at it, they're having the same problems that Alabama is having at quarterback, at younger players filling in positions. Um, I just think the media is is riding them high, and, and they deserve to be because of the back-to-back championships. Um, but I look at it, and I don't think that there's much to worry about. It, it's it's kind of just, you know, it's just paper in the end. It's just na- names on a sheet, and I think our guys are going to use that to motivate their, uh, their season and, and really look to prove some people wrong. Same question to totally, Steve. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with Justin. I I, I, I have always been, I, I do not like preseason stuff. I, I mean, I, I, it's just because it's a guess. It's a, you know, I, I, to, to me, if you look at the end of the season and, and they have four and Alabama has one, okay, well then, you know, yeah, you could say that. But going into it, and, and, and I don't see, in, in my opinion, I don't see, I think by the end of the season, J.C. Latham and Alice Turner are going to be on there too. You know, I, I think those guys are all American football players. And when, and as the season plays out, I think that, that they're going to be, you know, they'll get their spot at the end of the year if they stay healthy and, you know, that type of stuff. But I don't, um, I don't know. I, I, I never, ever, ever, never, ever get worried about what a preseason, uh, guess is. I, I really don't. I mean, cause it, it means, it means absolutely nothing. Really. Yeah. I, I agree with both of you. Okay, we'll be back for the final segment of Big Noon Sports. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205 
205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Calling all a nine Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of hazy sunshine this afternoon. The high 97. Fair tonight, the low 76. Blistering heat tomorrow and Wednesday. Sunny both days. Highs between 97 and 100. And Thursday, sunny and very hot with a high near 100. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 99 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Good Zoo on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Welcome back in to the final segment of Big Noon Sports on this sunny, steamy Monday. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys uh, for the final segment about uh, the Alabama scrimmage on Saturday. Um, first question is uh, something I've never really understood. So it's allegedly a closed scrimmage, meaning media aren't allowed. However, uh, certain fans are allowed in, former players, uh, family members of players. Uh, there's a lot of people. Why not just open it up, Steve? Why, why not? I mean, what, what, what are we doing here? And just tell the media, hey, you can't uh, videotape anything or you can't describe, uh, you know, different plays. Right. Just right. set a few few basic rules. And if you disobey those rules, well, guess what? Uh, you, we're going to make your life pure hell <laughs> for, the, for the rest of the year, and uh, meaning limiting of uh, access, even though there is basically no access. But I, I don't understand this charade. I, I've never understood it. I really haven't. I mean, I think what I've always found that that a lot of times the people that you let in are the ones that talk a lot more than the media does because they really, <laughs> exactly. they, they, yeah. it really doesn't matter to them. You know, they don't, you know, so, so they tell them don't do it again. Well, they'll, they'll do it again. I never, I never understood it, you know, and I, I think that I, I go back to you know, some of the coaches I've covered and I've heard, you know, I've heard that, that, that I never covered Gene Stallings, but I heard his thing that he would tell, you know, he was, he, he'd let the media into everything, but his thing was if I don't talk about it, it didn't happen. So if you if you go in and you watch something, they do something, and you ask them about it afterwards, and you doesn't talk about it, then you don't write about it. And 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 I think for ninety nine, and you know this, Lars, I think ninety nine percent of the people that are, are professional media members are going to honor that. You know, occasionally you're going to have somebody who'll write something that they shouldn't write, maybe from practice. But I, I've never quite understood why why they they shut those down i mean you know and, and you know sometimes you know they'll give you no know, stats and sometimes they do give you stats and i i remember when when uh when nick saban first started alabama i i, I remember and i wasn't covering it but but you would look at the the um the stats that were released and they were always like favoring one side or the other you like one one scrimmage it would be you know, they'd be a great offensive scrimmage and the stats would show it. And the next thing, well, the defense won and the stats would show that. Uh, maybe it was true. I don't know, but it just probably was, you know, probably just, you know, trying to send that message out there. But 
I've never quite understood why those why those are closed to media and open to other people. I, n- I never have. And I, I think, uh, uh, Justin, from from what I gather in talking to uh, you know uh, my my people, right, uh, who are there. Um, number one, the quarterback race. Uh, I think every quarterback had their moments, and even uh, Dylan Lonergan, the true freshman, uh, took some reps with the ones. Uh, but uh, it seems to me all signs point to Jalen Milrow starting the season opener and most likely starting against Texas in week two. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the other uh, big thing, well, two, uh, one, wide receivers are dropping too many balls. Nick Saban said that, and uh, we just know that there's issues with wide receiver right now. And three, that uh, I think it's possible that uh, Roy Dell Williams is going to be the uh, starter at uh, running back. He's going to be the number one. Uh, a lot of people assumed, myself included, that it was going to be Chase McClellan. Yeah. But uh, but Williams, I'll go to you for first, Steve. Williams was lining up with the first team offense on Saturday. Um, just I, I know. You, like like me, you know, you're not covering Alabama day in and day out, Steve. But uh, are you hearing anything? Uh, do you agree that uh, that most likely Jalen Milroe? I'm not saying he's won the job for the entire year, but I think he's going to get the first crack at it. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, some some I've talked to a few people that have seen stuff and, and know stuff around there and they, they have said that they think he's going to be you know the guy to start the season and, and you know I, I like that because I think that um, I think he can you know he, he, he there's different ways he can beat you you know he can beat you with, I mean obviously he's dynamic you know with the football in his hand so I think just sort of ease into this thing uh, you know and I do think the running game is going to be a huge part of what they do uh, you know maybe even I mean more than than it has been the past couple of years, I think, you know, certainly. And so I, I think he's uh, he's the guy to start, and, you know, we'll go from there. I tell you, I, the, the Dylan Longer talk really intrigues me, you know, and not that I think he's going to be a guy this year, but, um, to, I mean, there's a lot of just there's a lot of, of, of talk, a uh, buzz about him, and, and that, that, that to me that's very exciting. And uh, Justin, just what are you hearing? Uh, in I know that you uh, you have a lot of sources yourself. Uh, just <laughs> your your big your big picture thoughts of uh, Alabama coming out of the second scrimmage. Yeah, I, I think I, I feel more comfortable from what uh, Christian Miller said the other day, which was, of course, Nick Saban is going to be one of the most critical of his own team. Um, so I think we, we, we're looking into it a lot, but it's also a good thing that we're seeing coach be, you know, coach, coaching. We're seeing him cri- criticize his players, let him know how it's going to get better. And if they're going to have problems, I'd prefer them to have, have them now than, <laughs> than in week two against Texas because we know how tough of a game that's going to be. Um, on the running backs though as well, I think a lot of fans got caught up in the, the thought of all of the younger guys and all the the hype that we've heard around them where I think we kind of just brushed off Roydell and Jace McClellan. Um, So it was interesting to hear that Roydell is possibly or is going to be, uh, I guess possibly is going to be the starting quarter uh, running back uh, for the Crimson Tide. 
But the the drops concern me, especially when there are questions at quarterback. Um, the drops were a problem last year, and we had the best quarterback that Nick Saban's probably ever had in his time at Alabama. So I'm worried, but I'm, I'm ready to just watch it on field, on the field, watch it live, actually get into some games where we can do our own analyzing instead of, you know, having to go through uh, three different chains of sources uh, to get our information from the scrimmage. And, and, and Justin, back to you on the wide receiver front. Uh, the first team wide receivers on Saturday were Jermaine Burton, Malik Benson, Isaiah Bond. Is there one of those three that sticks out to you as the guy who's going to be the, the number one wide receiver or considered to be the number one? Malik Benson, I know, has had a lot of um, of hype around him this offseason. I think he's going to have a learning curve. I don't think he's going to start off um, – you know, from the get-go, very consistent, and but I think he's going to have his plays. Jermaine Burton, I I didn't like what I saw last year from him very much. I think he's got the ability to step up and, and be a number one receiver. It's just going to take, I think it's going to take a lot to see uh, from him. And I, I am really interested in Isaiah Bond. I think he takes a big jump this year, um, especially his performance in the Iron Bowl from last year. Or two years ago, um, I'm, I'm expecting Isaiah Bond, but I think Malik Benson is going to be right there as well. It's just going to be a matter of how quickly he can uh, hit his groove and get settled in the offense. And, and, and Steve, I know there's there's a lot of like just because reporters we don't have as much access as we used to, right? And so it's almost like you have to read Nick Saban's body language to figure out if he likes this team or not. But my sense is that he does. He really he likes every he likes everything about it. Uh and I know he can, you know, he of course he's going to be critical because it's preseason and our uh, preseason camp and you have things to improve upon. But my general takeaway from uh, the times that uh, Coach Saban has been in front of the cameras, he likes where the team is. He likes how they are, you know, kind of an underdog. Not kind of, they are, uh, to Georgia. Um, and I think he prefers this as opposed to you know, everyone uh, telling, uh, of course, like he prefers this to the perpetual rat poison uh, being fed to his players of how great they are. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that about uh, about the you know, sense he get about that because I get the exact same sense that, that he really likes the attitude of this team and where this team is right now as a team. The way that they likes it, and uh, you know, I think it's—I I, really—obviously, there's a lot of question marks and there's a lot of questions to be answered. But I really think this has a potential to be a really special thing. Justin, your thoughts on that topic? I'm I'm right there with um, with Steve. I think I think this team has a, the ability to be incredibly special. It's just getting—it's getting there. You know, I'm I'm tired of discussing like. Uh, um, who, who's the starting quarterback? Who's this? All of these guesses. I'm just ready for some football to be on and live in actual games, uh, so we can get this thing rolling. Because it's it's either going to happen or it's not. So I'm ready to get started. 
Well, the beautiful thing, guys, is that every weekend from now until, what, about the middle of February, we're going to have football. All right. Great show. Steve Irvine, thank you so much for uh, sitting in for Matt Coulter today. Justin, another awesome job behind the glass. We will talk to you in 22 hours. Everybody be safe. Yes, it's 